Hi, and welcome to the Dread Cassette, episode one. I'm Sam Striga, and I'm here tonight with Crystal Mazur and Chris Handley. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Uh, so this podcast is a bit of an experiment. Um, we've talked about movies and things on Darker Days Radio before, plus Network Zero. But we wanted to try and expand on the theme. Uh, we already have a lot of gaming-related content, so we thought we'd do something more focused on horror media reviews and discussion. Um, it's a bit of a shot in the dark, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, so our topic for today is kind of unavoidable and relentless at the moment. It's lockdown. So there's a few subgenres of horror that fit the tone, uh, zombie films being the most obvious, but we're only going to discuss one of those today. Um, so first, I guess the worst question, how has everyone been doing in lockdown? Are you enjoying your Zoom calls? Crystal? <laughs> um, I am a teacher and I'm working virtually right now. So I am on Google Meet almost the entirety of my day. Wow. Um, but it allows me to like actually interact with people. So I'm... It's a mixed blessing in that it's hard to be on all the time. Yeah, switched on, yeah. Yeah. But um, uh, it's also nice because I get to talk with my students and, like, get to interact with them. So, and I I miss that a lot. Uh, how old are your students? I am teaching middle school. So they're fifth and sixth grade for the U.S. They're about 10 and 11 in age. Yeah, so so they're not asshole teenagers yet. Not quite yet. They're <laughs> starting to they're starting to kind of explore that, and usually that's a little more pronounced in person. But yeah. you know, like I have them muted during the day when I'm teaching. So <laughs> I guess they're trying creative. I don't know, kind of just being creative with the fact they're limited with their communication. Yeah, and I'm trying to provide them a lot more opportunities than what they had in the spring for talking with each other. So, like, I've created, like, a a Google Meet where um, they can click on it during lunchtime and they'll have, like, a lunchroom type of oh, setting nice. where they can go and talk without a teacher there. So That's really nice. So what what's the subject that you teach? I am teaching all subjects right now because... Oh, okay. so, yeah. Yeah, the um the way that they have virtual set up is that I'm actually like the class that I have doesn't rotate like normal. And so I'm teaching all of the subjects. Sounds fun. <laughs> it's it's a, it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of work, but I am I am really enjoying it. I uh I come from early education, so I'm usually used to like elementary level uh age students or younger. And so I was a little nervous going into this, but um, it's turned out to be a really great experience. Do you think some of their children prefer it? I think some do, and some are really struggling with it, unfortunately. Um, yeah, that's, that's the problem, I think, is that, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. It, you know, some people, you know, will, like, struggle socially and things in school. And it, to them, it's probably kind of a dream situation. And with others, they really thrive on that interaction in person. So it's just really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there's really no good way to um, 
find a happy balance with that, unfortunately, right now. Um, I'm hoping that once we get into, because it's we're only in, into our third week going into our fourth week. And I'm really hoping that once we get more into the actual um, teaching stuff that I'm going to be doing, we'll have a lot more students that are enjoying it more. So Chris, how has your lockdown been going? I mean, I know because I live with you. But... <laughs> um, so as a research scientist, I would be commuting to uni, and I'm not. That gives me four extra hours of my day, mm -hmm. which is nice. Um, and my entire work is computer-based, so it doesn't really change anything. Except for when the VPN doesn't work, because then I can't get on the supercomputer. Do you find yourself more productive or less? Um, I think more. Mm -hmm. because when you've got to literally get yourself up when it's really dark, get on a train, walk to work, get yourself ready to work, then get yourself ready to leave and get back. In the dark again. In the dark, yeah. <laughs> um, that isn't great. And anyway, most of the times, you know, we have meetings online. And they're pretty much what you would say in person. So, yeah. I don't mind. And everyone else is enjoying it as well. Most of most us part. like it. Yeah. Um, the only people that are suffering are people that I think have small... Either they've got small kids, and that's trouble for them. Climbing all over them, yeah. Yeah. Or it's people that don't have much space where they live. Mm -hmm, of course, yeah. So for them, the office is kind of like a refuge. So... If you if you have an extra room, then you're lucky or somewhere comfortable to work from. Otherwise, it's a bit of a divide, I think, from people who are in like a bedsit or a studio apartment. Yeah. And I don't know how they're going to go back to normal because as a computer scientist, I live on coffee. So lockdown and controlling all that stuff and open up the unis and making sure it's all safe means I think we can't use... The Kitchen when they go back yeah. to the um, open up the university buildings, so that's pointless. Yeah, I mean because it means you don't have refreshments there, and it's just it's not really. It becomes a a less humane environment, doesn't it? Yeah, and I don't think we're going to go back to normal for a while now, given mm -hmm. that second lockdown is on the horizon. Because well, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so on that note. I guess we can segue into our first discussion in which Zoom features quite prominently, uh, and that's the movie Host, uh, which we watched quite recently. And Crystal, I think you watched that yesterday, did you? Uh, yeah, I watched it uh, two nights ago. I actually watched okay. Host last night, so. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, Host is a new movie that's exclusive to Shudder. And it's not to be confused with The Host 2006 or The Host 2013. Uh, it's billed as the first horror movie in the COVID genre, uh, which has the pandemic as a backdrop, but it's not about the virus. Uh, it introduces us to several characters on a Zoom call during lockdown who have decided to perform an online seance in boredom. This obviously proves to be a bad idea as a dark entity invades their meat space one by one. So the premise is quite similar to the movie Unfriended, 
which I also enjoy, but host is somehow more effective and frightening. Uh, I think the suspense is richer, the scares are more shocking, and it's a short film, uh, which is short enough that you want to see it continue, but then it abruptly ends. Uh, the cast are relatively likeable, aside from a couple of bad decisions made, uh, majority British cast as well, which is always refreshing for me. Uh, so what did you guys think of it? Crystal? Well, oh yeah, Chris will go first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i i really liked it i am yeah. um, um so first up i generally tend to avoid any movies that have shaky camera work because i do have a um a, i get motion sickness really easily so yeah. what i what i've found out i can do is if i put the movie on and have my laptop in front of me and work on it um, I don't get sick because I'm I'm moving my eyes back and forth, and when I need to pay attention to the screen, I have that time, and then I can take my eyes off if I need it. Yeah. Um, what I really liked about the movie was that um, it felt very much like walking through a haunted house. Um, yes. And I don't. Do you guys have haunted houses over uh, in the UK? Um, not so much. Um, I'm okay. quite jealous of that in the US. I think, um, well, obviously not this year, but in the past couple of years, uh, the idea sort of gained traction. Like in, you know, say the past five years, I'd say, in the UK, uh, we sort of caught on with escape rooms and things like that. Uh, but we don't have as many sort of haunted house, big attractions every Halloween. Um, Halloween is getting more popular here every year and there's more merchandise and everything and um a lot of people don't like that because they think it's an americanism but of course um it was taken from here over to america so it's actually you know uh like a celtic festival and so people are mistaken when they think that and also i think you know they're complaining about nothing really because you know you can ignore it if you want to it's one night of the year and so we have like everything, pumpkin, ghosts everywhere. Like, um, but a lot of people don't like trick or treating, or they don't like sending their children trick or treating. In our area, we have children children trick or treating usually, um, but it really depends on where you're from and what the kind of idea about Halloween is there. Some people really frown upon it. Um, but yeah, haunted house attractions, we don't really have as many. I think it will be a few years before that actually catches on here as a big thing. Okay. Yeah. We have, I mean, like, uh, the state that I live in, um, Wisconsin has like 30 plus houses, something like that. Um, wow. ranging from like really, really large ones to smaller ones. Um, we have a high school that puts on a haunted house every year. Um, and that does like, it's like a fundraiser. So, mm -hmm. um, like there's a whole bunch of different, there's a couple of farms that do um, haunted houses and like haunted hayrides and stuff. So it's yeah. huge here and I'm a huge fan of, um, fan of them. I worked in one for like almost 17 years. That's amazing. <laughs> and uh, so I have a, I have a very big love of, of the really good ones and appreciate the really nice setups of them. Um, and this movie reminded me so much of of going through a haunted house mm -hmm. and um and like the scares that were happening and like the special effects that were happening even though there really was there there was no like they couldn't obviously be face to face 
but the special effects that they had set up in here were really, really good for what they had. Basically, the, the movie, um, the director, Rob Savage, um, he made a short film in early 2020, and that featured him investigating creepy sounds in his attic whilst on a video chat with friends in real life. So he intended it as a prank on his friends, and he set up a jump scare for the friends on camera. Um, when he'd done it, he uploaded the short to the internet, and it went viral, so he decided to extend the idea to a full-length feature. And it was filmed during quarantine restrictions. Uh, Savage directed each of the actors remotely and each cast member had control of their own cameras, stunts, lighting and the practical effects. Uh, they did a workshop so they could, you know, know what to do. Um, the movie was conceived, planned and completed in only 12 weeks. So I think that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's not to spoil it, but some of the effects... I'm left thinking, how did you do that if it's just you and likely your housemate or your partner? Yes. Like, that was nuts. Yeah, because it's um, it's interesting. I was thinking just yesterday how I didn't really realise before that probably it was all filmed in their own actual apartments or houses because... I'm not sure if you would build sets for that because it was it was filmed during the quarantine. So everything like filming on sets would have paused. So they must have done it in their own apartments, which is pretty great. Oh my gosh. We're okay. So I did have a question with some, like are some of those actors like stunt trained? They had um, to have been. I am not aware <laughs> that any of them were. Uh, they're all okay. Sort of newcomers so uh, i don't know much about them but as far as i know they weren't but they as i said they did a workshop so i think they probably had stunt people telling them how to fall correctly so they didn't injure themselves as far as i know nobody got hurt on set but okay yeah because that that sure. chair trick is just crazy like uh, <laughs> yes i did like that <laughs> i i was so leery of that chair the entire time <laughs> Uh, yes, because you know um, when uh, when they're first talking about a light that can be seen behind one of them, like in near the beginning, I kept watching it. Like I was very aware of everything in the room, all the shadows. So it's kind of like when uh, you go to sleep in an unfamiliar room and you're feeling a bit creeped out, and you know you, you've got the shadows moving around, and and I was really hyper aware of everything. So when I rewatch it, I'm going to actually turn the lights out so I can appreciate that more because I'm sure there's little things that I missed. Um, like apparently there are things that you may miss, which is worth watching a second time. There were a couple things that I was picking up in the backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I definitely want to watch it again because, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people that I'm like, oh, Oh, they don't even see that going on. Like they don't the play, the characters don't acknowledge it, but it's still there. And I, I think, love that in horror movies. I think that leads us into one thing that like Howard in Woods says a lot is that he hates characters in films who seem a bit too aware they're in a horror film. And these characters just felt like they're just doing a Zoom call. They're just doing this hokey, you know, seance. And there's one character which I think lends total British believability, and that's the 
the dude who gets a bit wasted. Yes, I was I was quite disappointed he wasn't featured as much as they they first uh, hinted at. Like he he kind of disappeared and then came back later on. So I liked that character. Um, but yeah, uh, Chris, I just wanted to correct you. It's Howard David Ingham. Any of the Chronicles of Darkness books. And it's uh, there. They, there, yeah. There. Sorry. Uh, pronouns. Yeah. So, sorry, Howard. Um, anyway. Uh, what was the other thing? Oh, the lighting in it is, oh, is yeah. important. Because when they go outside, it's actually like how you use a torch. And that's because they don't have professional light. Yes. Yep. So, because they were just using, like, phone lights and things like that. It's, uh... It, it, and you compare it to the other ones that came before it, like um, Unfriended and siblings. Can't remember all their names. Uh, there's there's quite a few now that are based on, you know. I mean, I mean to actually do a episode on on the kind of like uh, tech horror sort of, you know, like that. There's ones which have like you know snuff films on things like that. That one's called Hacked, I think. Yeah. Uh, that one's quite good. Um, yeah, but I mean, I do like Unfriended, and I liked the sequel as well. Uh, I prefer the first one. Um, I liked the scene with the air vent, if you know what I mean. But that I think one, the, the strength of this <laughs> is because they're limited. It feels more like tangible, and you're on the call. Like with it's them. actually happening, yes. Because I... there's there's not kind of studio driven otherworldly things happening it's almost mundane apart from a few different things which happen which when you do enough zoom calls which if you do all yeah themed games (laughs) (laughs) very well um and the other thing with the the limitation and this drives into the the pacing yes is it's only a 40 minute film or thereabouts? Uh, no, I think it's, it's about like an hour. About and... an hour. It's, it's just under an hour, I think. Because um, of Yeah, because, minutes. well, that was interesting because I didn't know that, you know, on a, on a normal Zoom call that isn't a corporate one on a corporate account, I didn't know there was a time limit on Zoom calls because I've never used it. So I'm used to having hours long Discord chats with friends um, and I used to use Skype for that. So, um, it was quite surprising to me that that was the reason for it ending, but um, I think it tied in really well. And it also ends with a close-up of the computer screen and a scroll-through of the Zoom participants, which is actually the cast and crew credits, which I think is a nice touch. Yeah, I love I like that touch too on the, at the end. Um, yeah. And I, I really like how, I actually liked it that it was shorter um, because they had to build in the characters connections like as they're storytelling through the horror um which i mean usually a movie will have a little bit of a setup first where the, you get all the characters then you realize or you figure out how they're all connected and then stuff starts happening mm-hmm. um question yes. crystal which yeah. is given that this say i guess the first proper like British film of this kind of like genre, which mm-hmm. is this online sort of found footage thing. What insight does it give you to British people, maybe? <laughs> or are, or how um, we conduct ourselves online? Honestly, honestly, what it what what it 
like insight it gives me is I want to see what haunted houses you guys come up with <laughs> because there are, there are some haunted houses here where it's just jump scares. And I'm like, okay, this is, I'm done. And uh, cause I'm, I don't scare well, or I don't scare easily, I should say. Um, so jump scares don't really do anything for me. I'm more in, in, into it for the acting and the theatrics of it, as well as like the setups. And oh. so like being able to see like, how you guys would set up a haunted house and and without heavy american influences i think would be amazing it would just be a pub with too much folk horror going on yes i am okay with that though <laughs> well i know at uh thought park which is a theme park they have a saw roller coaster and i i think they still have a saw horror maze so you can walk through the set pieces to Saw and um, there's actors involved and there are jump scares and things. So I think that's one of the closest sort of mainstream things that we have uh, to like a scare house. Um, I think there is quite an untapped market really because I think, well, I mean, not this year again, obviously, but like students and stuff are really into that kind of thing and escape rooms and stuff and isn't there a drive? There's a drive-through haunted house. I read the news story about is this. There? Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> I'll find the link and put it in. The I show think notes. I think some people in like you know different places like um, someone was talking about uh, nearby to them. A guy has a big house and he does like a charity thing every year and makes a walk-through haunted house in his own house. Um, so. And you have a lot of opportunities to do that here, I think, because a lot of people do have old houses uh, because that's all we have really is Victorian terraced houses and things like that. Um, I think the closest I ever came to being in a horror maze or a haunted house was actually in Germany. And oh, yeah. we went to uh, a nightclub that was, I think, like... Uh, a bus and a train away from us uh, because everything's quite far from each other there and um, it was a really good uh, goth and rock club uh, which was quite popular and they really went all out for Halloween every year and we only went the once uh, but uh, when everyone's in the queue outside the queue like runs halfway like down the street and um, they had kind of like you know fake barbed wire up and things and netting and then uh sort of you know a kind of mental asylum sort of set up and you would walk through and some people would jump out of you it, it wasn't that frightening but it was quite unnerving standing there and you you would hear it's when you hear people in the queue ahead of you screaming and you're like <laughs> oh no I've made a mistake <laughs> oh yeah like I would be down for like all of the folk horror and like how you guys would present that. Like, even if it's just like sitting in a haunted pub with weird stuff happening throughout like a meal. Like, well, we, if... know, <laughs> we know a lot of creatives. So, if COVID ever goes away, I think maybe because we've talked about this before, haven't we, Chris, about a Darker Days events branch, which is mostly to do with role play events. But I think haunted houses could probably fit in somewhere. It'd be like the mixture of a... It's more like doing a murder mystery party, but yes. much more constructed. Mm -hmm. And that 
everyone participating as players. I say as players, but it's like non-actors. You're there just there at like a pub or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's all these characters going around. It'd be like a really dark version of EastEnders. <laughs> That's dark enough. Uh, yes, it is lately. Um, anyway, so yeah. So host is a, a five out of five for me, I think. Do we rate things in Chainsaw? Uh, no, we don't do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't uh, do that. <laughs> I, I would definitely give it the same rating, so. It was, no, it was really cool. Um, what's the next one? Uh, yeah, so next up we have Wreck, which Ooh. was one of the most successful foreign horror movies of recent years. Um, I say recent, I think it was about, what was it, 2009 or something? Uh, I think Chris is going to check. Yeah, we'll get it tight. <laughs> so I'm quite particular about zombie films. There was a lot of zombie bandwagon jumping in the sort of last decade or two. And yes, it's 2007. 2007, okay. Oh. Um so there's only a few zombie movies I actually enjoy, and I might go so far as to say that Wreck is one of my favorites. Um on repeat viewings, it's genuinely unsettling. Um, it's nerve-wracking, it's realistic, it's one of the best found footage horrors there uh, out there, I think. It's um, it's just really genuinely frightening. And it follows a young TV presenter in, I think it's Madrid, isn't it? Uh, Barcelona. It's Barcelona. Barcelona. Right. <laughs> I didn't get that right. Um, <laughs> Chris has been to Barcelona <laughs> twice, haven't you? Um, he has one. been twice. He's looking at me now. Two. Yes. Yes, he's been twice. Um, yeah, so um, it's about a young TV presenter in Barcelona making a documentary about the local fire department. Uh, nothing much happens initially at the station, and then the alarm sounds and the small film crew tag along with the firefighters to check out the emergency call. Uh, they find themselves at an apartment block investigating a disturbance. Um, so what do you guys think of the movie? Crystal? Um, so... I I watched it dubbed and um I was initially I was not impressed with the dubbing. Um I, I don't blame you. I prefer the subs. <laughs> I I usually prefer the subs too, but um again with like the shaky camera stuff, I didn't want a chance having to read the screen that it was also shaking behind. Yeah. Um because I wanted to be able to to see the whole movie even if it it, it was a little longer than host, but um yeah like so at first that that kind of bothered me but once they actually started getting into like the action um it felt like it actually got better Mm -hmm. um but overall i really i did like it too i thought it was a great um horror movie and i totally forgot that it wasn't filmed during covid (laughs) (laughs) and i was like and i was like why don't none none of them have masks on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know it's bad when that happens. So so that was a thing with me too. I thought that the um the setup for it, especially like the zombie aspect, um, I did really like that. And I liked the fact that it was like the initial trope of it coming from like an infected animal or something. It looked like it was starting with that, and then it definitely took a, a different turn. Yeah, the the sort of, it's not, I don't think it's really a reveal in the end, but what it hints at is way more horrifying, I think, than the usual suspect 
Yeah. Yeah, because I totally thought I was like, nope, it's the dog the whole time. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden they went up uh, and they were filming in the the attic. And I was like, oh, shit, that's not a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I like the start because it's like, again, it seems very slow and rather mundane. It's like, oh, they're just at a fire station. And that helps really get you in the mood of like, what they're about to see is rather normal or boring. And then it's when it goes left, you're like, oh, oh. And then it starts going even further left. You're mm -hmm. like, oh, no. And I think it's the isolation in there because every group of residents has their own little story and how that's interacting with each other and how they blame each other. And I think that's the problem with modern zombie films. It's like, it's often like, oh, they're zombies let's run away or kill them all. And it's like, you just, you can't, mm -hmm. you're there. Yeah, so I think it sort of, you know, in, in a very topical way, it shows the terror of a forcibly imposed quarantine uh, by the authorities, um, which I know may seem too close to home for some people right now. But for me, it's kind of a positive that we're not at this stage yet. I mean, we might be soon. Although at least it isn't zombies, maybe. <laughs> no, uh, and the fact that you're cut off from the emergency services who might be able to help you and instead it feels like the emergency services have turned on you because they lock you inside because you're not safe to come outside. So I think that's very frightening. And I'm not going to give credence to any conspiracy theories here or anything like that because the pandemic is absolutely shit and the way governments are dealing with it is shit uh but unfortunately you know there's not much we can do but hope for the best at the moment and uh listen to best advice uh hopefully from scientific professionals A zombie film kind of tap into something because i mean so many zombie films like a lot of the most prominent ones set in the US. So, Crystal, yep. is that, from your point of view, that's tapping something into a kind of like a, uh, uh, I guess a cultural, at some level, cultural zeitgeist or reaction to something, isn't it? Oh, I mean, at this point, <laughs> um, I am fairly certain if a zombie outbreak happened, America is just screwed. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think... I think that whole uh, zombie thing in America comes from the fact that people want there to be something for them to prep for. Mm. Like preppers are huge in America. I don't know how prevalent they are in overseas, but like um, we don't really have that culture here in the same sense. Now there are people who prep in the sense of, uh, you know, people have been prepping for Brexit, which is going to have, you know, problems with the food supplies from the EU and things like that. So people have gotten, you know, extra tins of food and things like that. Uh, but it's not to the same level as American prepping, which is more like, I'm going to build a bunker and I'm yeah. going to have 100 guns in there. You know, again, we don't have a gun culture in this country. Um, and Europe in general doesn't really have a gun culture. Well, so it's it's generally not going to be the same because what... Uh, American preppers do when they're building a bunker, they mean they're building a fort filled with weapons. 
Yep. Well, yep. And that's except farmers. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, and I, I think a lot of Americans mistake prepping, like prepping for for stuff to build a bunker, stockpile weapons and mm -hmm. ammo. And I think they forget the fact that culturally civilizations and and communities started getting together centuries ago for safety. Yes, I agree. And so the way that you get through a something of an apocalypse scenario is is you build your community. Yes. Like I I agree with kind of building supplies for the local community. Oh, things totally. like yeah, like food banks and things, you know, and uh, you know, healthcare, first aid supplies, things like that, but to be shared with the community. But what prepping usually is is hoarding all those things yeah. for one person or one or two people. And like I grew up um, in a family of hunters and I learned how to prepare food for, for long-term storage. So I know how to can fruits and vegetables and meat. I know how to use a pressure cooker. I can forage in the forest for mushrooms that are edible and not poisonous um, locally. Like <laughs> throw me in Britain, I'm not going to know any of your mushrooms, but... <laughs> If you go um, near where I live, the only mushrooms you get are magic ones. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you can't really make meals out of Well, you could make meals out of them, but it might only be one meal. Definitely <laughs> could. There's uh, a but, very fun movie called Shrooms, mm. which is about that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'll have to look that up. Um, but so, so, like, my idea of prepping is having the tools necessary to prepare the food that you're going to need yes. without hoarding it because food does go bad, even if you can it right. Yes. So why are you hoarding it? Like it, that does not make any sense to me. It's you, you make sure that you have the skills necessary. So yeah, that whole prepping culture is just really weird for me. And I'm like, you guys will not survive a zombie apocalypse. You guys are going to starve to death. Because you won't know how to actually cook a meal that isn't going to kill you. <laughs> is it worth? I don't know because I feel. Does it verge on spoil? I think we should just put spoiler alerts. Like, yeah, in the, yeah, like I think we should just not limit ourselves to to not spoiling it. So the important thing about rep is it takes the zombie horror and turns it on its head right at the end. Because I'm always a big fan of that. Here's science, and it's like, oh, it's a disease. And then it's like, oh, it ain't. Mm -hmm. It's something worse, and it's something you can't understand. And whether that's like, you know, Lovecraftian mythos, or it's just classic biblical crap. Yes, yeah, like I, I do have a soft spot for demonic possession horror movies. <laughs> I have a soft spot I for like demonic possession. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I do I, like I, demonic possession horror movies. I do have to agree with you on that. Yes, it's because I actually do find it quite terrifying. So it kind of taps into a sort of anxiety for me. It's not really a rational anxiety. You know, I'm not thinking that it's going to happen or anything. But it's it's just like deeply disturbing to me. So I do enjoy that. So I enjoyed that twist in Wreck because it was, you know... Partially one thing, but partially another. 
and it didn't really fully explain. Now, what does explain it in more detail is Rec 2, which I won't discuss now because it's a different genre, really. Uh, but it's um, it's definitely worth watching and it's my favourite of all the Rec movies. So, uh, And it follows a priest who's trying to learn more about the whole thing. Mm. I will have to take a look at that. The other interesting note is Rex's American remake. Quarantine, Quarantine yes. is a shot-for-shot shot remake, pretty much. It is, and that's quite disappointing, because but, it's not very good. Yeah. And then, I think... How would you do a shot-for-shot shot remake and not, yeah, right. and not be good? Yeah. Like... <laughs> So I think it's, is it the second one? Which the second one's good. completely different. The second one's completely different. So it's not a remake of Rec 2. Uh, Quarantine 2, uh, Terminal, is um, about um, the virus being on a, on a flight and then they take it into the airport with them yeah. when they land. And that one's actually quite good and That's entertaining. More oh, That's more relevant. Right? Shit. That's a visual representation of exponential growth and, and spreading disease. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that draws from like 12 Monkeys, is that? Yes. Right at the end. Yeah, it does. A 12 Monkeys TV series I've not watched, and that's completely different, I believe. So I haven't watched that one either. But the 12 Monkeys right. movies is like one of my favorite horror movies to just rewatch. Because again, they have to isolate, don't they, from the world? I believe so, yes. Yeah. Is it the third? What happens in the third wreck movie? Because I've completely forgotten. Oh, okay. Because there's a third quarantine movie, right? And is that the wedding one? No, wreck three. Wreck three is the wedding one. So it occurs at a wedding, and the virus gets loose at a wedding. And it's the prequel. And it's a prequel, yes. A wreck four catches up after wreck two, and it's on a boat. I only vaguely remember that. It wasn't very good. Yes, that one wasn't very good. (laughs) (laughs) So I think the first and the second are definitely worth watching, and the second quarantine movie are the ones that you want to watch. Uh, Well, the the movie poster for Rec 3 is actually pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it's a ride with a chainsaw. like. (laughs) And the, the, the theme through all this is... They're like that found footage kind of filming style, whether it's like the new form online or it's like a handy cam. So that says something about like limited line of sight, yes. which again is terrifying. Mm-hmm. So that goes back to like, you know, Blair Witch or Ghost Watch. Ghost Watch. <laughs> Ghost Watch. <laughs> the best we will talk around. about Ghost Watch eventually. Yeah. yeah. Eventually, yes. Um, uh, I will say that the the gore and the makeup in Wreck is amazing, um, and very uh, yeah, it's quite violent as well. I'll warn people: it's you know, there's the sort of not really jump scares, but things that you know, something's running at you. you know, oh, and like every single person that falls down the stairs, like uh, uh, yes, the first time that <laughs> happens, and someone falls over the banister, and they just like that's very shocking. And and like it, I was already well into the movie where it was at that point where I was like, wait a minute, they can't be filming in quarantine because <laughs> <laughs> like this this can't be you know this 
they they had to have had stunt doubles and set up everything because like there is some dangerous stunts in there otherwise all the, everyone's hugging each other all the families are hugging all each of other. them yeah all of them <laughs> shows from just before like lockdown you're like why are you hugging where is your mask yeah well the um i was telling crystal yesterday that the um the the end of wreck um, oh, yeah. there's kind of a shock moment and it's performed by an actual actor and it's not CGI or anything, it's all practical effects and makeup it's a very tall person in a very frightening visage <laughs> yeah, it's That's like an extremely thing. tall, emaciated person yes and really the way that they film it is amazing because mm-hmm. you get that is amazing Oh, you get like that existential dread even like i know a lot of movies where like when the when the actual monster is revealed you're like oh well, well it loses its mystique no the way they still film it you it does not lose any of its mystique at all yeah it's actually it's got the same it has the feel of like when you finally still like sadako or like yeah. in the grudge it's like mm-hmm. You, you finally see it, that reveal doesn't, you're not like, uh, it's a vampire, or it's a zombie. It's like, no, this is something I don't understand. Yeah, I think it's up there with other iconic monsters and things like, you know, some of them, I feel disappointed these days, especially in certain types of movies, because um, it always happens to me lately with, say, the Conjuring series. Now, I enjoy the Conjuring series, uh but i watched the nun quite recently and the kind of the design of the nun is really not scary to me and it's kind of what you'd expect from that part of the genre now so it's always the same type of makeup you know the dark eyes and the pale skin and everything and it it just looks a bit samey i think Uh, yeah i think if you if you do some sort of monster like that you do have to add some some sort of like unworld, uh, otherworldly yeah. aspect to it to just make it just weird enough to trigger that lizard brain. Yeah, because you know you just like you see the end of wreck and you just think that's wrong. Like yeah, that, that's there, not right. <laughs> yeah, when you when that first panned over um, in the in the attic, and you just see the flash of that face, I. It takes a lot for me to jump, and I actually jumped during that. <laughs> it's it's because it's um, it's it's proper uncanny valley. Yes. Yes. And that's like I think. Well, because it's it's in in the basic sense, it's a human form. You know, it's it arms and legs. It is a person. It's, yeah. It is human shaped. That is yeah. about it. <laughs> and everything in your brain's going. Uh, no. <laughs> no, 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 you, you're, you're ill, we should move away, yeah, and you can't, mm-hmm. so yeah, cool. <laughs> so, Rec is a rating of, I would say, four. Yeah. I, I would give it a four, too, be uh, simply because the dubbing bothered me. Yeah, if you if you have to watch it with dubbing, then I, I don't think it's as good. But again, you've got the issue with, you know, the constant motion and things, which can cause yeah. problems for a lot of people. Yeah. So I think I think once you get to the action, 
and everything is not focused on everybody's faces all the time, th then it gets better because it's not yeah, it's not the lips with the 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 sound. Right, for our next segment, we are talking about some real world creepy and in this segment we're looking at creepy that's related to the themes of the films we've been talking about so it'll be about disease and isolation and we're looking at some plague villages uh we're looking at uh one plague village and in derbyshire and we're looking at the plague island in venice oh okay so so, Crystal, what do you want first? Uh, which one do you want first? <laughs> oh, um, well, I am, because I actually know nothing about these. So um, let's do the Plague Island, because that's what I searched first, because I'm going to okay. look through Wikipedia while you uh, talk about it. Yeah, okay, so uh, Pavalia is the Plague Island of Venice, uh, which you'll have heard about before if you listen to Darker Days Radio and Secret Frequency. Um, the island is very small, but it's widely rumoured to be extremely cursed, uh, so much that fishermen refuse to fish in the waters around it. So, early accounts of the island date back to 421. Uh, ostensibly, the place had a decent economy and the population was growing, uh, but then there was a war, I've completely forgotten the name of the war because I'm terrible, um, in 1378 which devastated the island. Uh, the people had been evacuated to, to Venice for the duration, but there wasn't much to return to when the war was over. Uh, Pavelia lay virtually abandoned for hundreds upon hundreds of years. When the plague eventually arrived, the Venetians decided it would be suitable to quarantine those infected, hopefully preventing the spread of disease. There were a few other plague islands also in the same area. Uh, these included Lazaretto Vecchio, but uh, Pavelia had the highest death count by far. It is estimated to be 160,000. Uh, sick people were sent there fully aware that they wouldn't come back and it wasn't a pleasant place to die. Pavelia was later used for weapons storage by Napoleon. He pulled down the 12th century church and he converted the bell tower into a lighthouse. It also became a battle site, leading to further deaths. In 1922, a mental asylum was built on the island, which of course is a great idea. Um, the hospital housed patients diagnosed with psychological illness, many of whom claimed to sense the presence of the past plague victims. The treatments performed at the institution were, unsurprisingly for the time period, less than humane, uh, such as lobotomies performed with hand drills. According to local rumours, the worst tortures occurred at the bell tower. This is also where the chief doctor either committed suicide or was pushed from the window, possibly by an angry patient. The truth is not clear. The hospital was shut down in 1968. The island remains generally closed to visitors, but special permissions can be granted to explore or film the premises. You may have seen Pavelia on a special episode of Ghost Adventures, which is really worth watching to get a feel for the place. So, would you guys want to visit there? <laughs> and we're big Venice fans, aren't we, Chris? Mm. We love Venice. We've been to Venice three times, and we've been to Verona twice. There are some... I wouldn't go to Pavelia. There's some messed up aspects. <laughs> um, so, like... As you walk around, you can pretty much readily pick up bone fragments. Uh, yeah, it's said that the soil is mainly the ashes of victims, that plague victims. I think, or is it on the other island, that there's some like dogs? Uh, that's, that's a different island oh, in the same area. Uh, um, 
And then the, the the legend with the death of the doctor is that as he hit the ground, the ghostly hands of his victims re- reached up and took his soul to drag it to hell. Wow. So Ooh. that's really scary. That's which is also <laughs> which you can find in uh, Venice on Mass, which on the Storyteller's Vault, which I wrote. So there you go. We promise no But it's in there. Um, See, I yeah, was avoiding all the gaming stuff, and you just walked right. You Kool Aid Man through that <laughs> wall. It's, it, it's a mad. It's a mad island. Um, it's a mad island. I don't know. It's a, like <sighs> I'm sure because um, Francesco de Mosto obviously visited it for his um, mini-series mm-hmm. about Venice. And I highly recommend that BBC series. Uh, you can get it on DVD and there's a book as well. And the book is fantastic. Yeah, it's um, Francesco de Mosto's Venice. And he also does one about Italy generally called Italy Top to Toe. And um, so Francesco de Mosto is like uh, an aristocrat um, from Venice. And his family has a great history in Venice. And he also just generally makes documentaries and is a TV presenter. I've just got this feeling, is there something about like a vineyard on one of these islands that just feels wrong? But I feel like it's it's likely one of them has a vi- has like some... I would say there's a good chance that there is. I'd have to fact check it, but I'm not, yeah. But, I mean, Venice has got lots of legends as well, obviously related to plagues and fires. Mm-hmm. Because, like... Because of such limited land, so many people have died of the plague, are literally buried under the very place you walk. So yeah. Venice is, is really haunted, and Pervaglia just feels wrong. Well, conversely, we've been to uh, San Michele, which yeah. is the cemetery island of Venice, and it's really beautiful and well-kept, and we went when it was very sunny, um, in winter and it's just uh, a wonderful place to walk around which is very uplifting and nice and not creepy at all so yeah <laughs> <laughs> see um the whole like sand being like mostly bone fragment and the leftover um strangely enough doesn't um freak me out like it probably should but that's because um, New Orleans, which is like one of my favorite places to go, um, if you're inland at all, most of the sand is not actually sand. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's the so. same here with basically, you know, a lot of graveyards have been moved and shifted with the remains being, you know, like exhumed and moved around over centuries. And a lot of land that you build on you know, is, you know, it would have been formerly graves. So I, I would say that's the case for a lot of places, especially in this country, because we don't have a lot of land to spare. I mean, we do have some land, which is often owned by the rich, and you can't build on that, and it just kind of sits there. So everything else is kind of built on already, and is definitely built on things. <laughs> There is an island, I remember now, we've done this on a secret frequency, I can't remember which I, name of it, and Crystal might know. What's the which island one? in, uh, it's New York, it's one of the islands of New York, where 
they bury they bury I think they bury people that are like have no family or homeless or Oh yeah that one. Uh Heart Island. Is it Potter's Field? Potter's Field? Um I'm gonna check. Hold on a second. No, Heart Island. Okay. I believe. Let me just double check. Um, because I know that they started using that yeah heart island is where they and uh is a potter's field there we go Mm -hmm. so but yeah they started using that for coronavirus victims too oh wow yes that's how i learned about it recently from the news they that's how many it's been in new york that they started having to use it yep oh so it's like a modern thing uh yes like you know all all the um the uh, crematoriums were filling up and everything. Yep. So that's, too fast. Yeah. That's, that's just chilling in its sheer reality of it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, that's, um, that, that is a thing. And, uh, yeah. We've learned nothing from history. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have not learned anything from history. Um, like, I, yeah, I would, I, I think, I think the U.S. does have a couple of other islands like that. I think the one, the, the Hearts Island just went into the news because of the coronavirus stuff. So that's been brought to the forefront. I'm trying to think of there's, if there's any other that are islands where burials happen. And nothing's coming to, the, to my head right now. But yeah, like <laughs> the, whole, the whole concept, like I would be fine traveling and visiting this island now but like if you would have asked me in you know like the later 60s or 50s or anything like that where it was a little closer to uh all of the other stuff that have that has actually happened i uh would not have traveled there yeah. <laughs> i think time uh helps with with the uh comfort level there <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, it's it. It allows it to kind of like erode away the history a little bit. In that, it just. I guess it doesn't have the awe. I would be the way they say. Yeah, I I don't always not to be weird. Yeah, I don't always instantly believe like every haunting story, but I think um like I'm kind of sensitive to sort of bad vibes and stuff. So I didn't buy a house because it felt weird. <laughs> Uh yeah, that wasn't I... the only reason. Come on, it was also it was, be- it was also because we got the survey back and it was filled with damp, so that was, that's probably why it didn't feel great. Oh yeah, that would definitely not make a good living situation. It's it's damp, but not because bodies are decomposing. No, not because of that. No, no, nope. <laughs> um, not at all. But yeah, uh, perfectly. I I would. I feel a bit weird about is my opinion. And that's funny because you say you're not woo at all and no, then you don't I believe in things, just... but you, mm, it gives you the heaps, doesn't it? Bones. I'm not sure about it. Bones. Is it everywhere. Bones. Is it, is, is it the bones or is it the fact that um, there were just a lot of sick people there? Like actually <laughs> living at the island? I think it's more the mental asylum aspect because you know, I like suffer with anxiety and depression. And I've read a lot about 
you know, how people were treated in these type of places, you know, up till, as you say, like, you know, 60s, to 70s, things like that. And that feels quite recent to me. And, you know, uh, that's, you know, why I talk about bad vibes of places and things, because it's it's just not pleasant. And, you know, some some of these ideas that were, you know, used in some of these hospitals um, are still you know, prevalent today with, you know, kind of, we still use the word hysteria to talk about women being hysterical. And that was a medical diagnosis in Victoria time, at Victorian time. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not great. You know, the plague stuff, fine. You know, the, the mental hospital stuff, I, I think it's a bit, mm. a little, a little too, uh, too close for comfort. Yeah. What's the other creepy then? So I'm looking at the time and we want to keep it yeah, a, okay. an hour or so. Okay, so, so the next one is the Plague Village in Derbyshire, which is not that far from here. Um, and it's called Eam. That's how you pronounce it. <laughs> I finally found out the pronunciation the other day. So in 1665, the plague first arrived, um, carried by a bale of cloth that had been sent from London. Uh, the disease was already rife in London and had killed thousands. The cloth was damp and it was infested with fleas who were carrying the plague. It was received by a visiting tailor's assistant, so not someone who was even living in Eam. Um, he was just unlucky to be visiting. Yeah, he was called George Vickers and he hung it in front of the fireplace to dry. He was one of the first to die and the plague rapidly spread through the small community. By early 1666, 42 of the villagers were dead and the natural instinct of the survivors was to flee. That's not what happened though. The reason Eam is quite famous is because the people eventually decided to stay in order to stop the plague from decimating Sheffield and Bakewell. William Momperson, who was the rector of Eam, came up with the idea, but he wasn't very popular with the villagers, unlike the previous rector, Thomas Stanley. So Stanley had been a big supporter of Oliver Cromwell, along with the majority of Eam's residents. Momperson knew he wouldn't be able to convince them by himself, so he sought help from Stanley, who was living in exile outside the village. On the 24th of June, it was announced that Ian be sealed off from surrounding towns, no one permitted in or out. The Earl of Devonshire, who lived at nearby Chatsworth House, promised to send food and supplies. Montpesson assured the parishioners if they sacrificed themselves, he would attempt to ease their final days in any way possible, choosing to remain with them for the good of the county. There was some reluctance to the plan, but largely it was agreed to. The isolation was very effective and contributed to better survival rates in Derbyshire and Yorkshire. Deaths continued within the village, but almost no one broke this historic lockdown, even as people lost whole families to the disease. There was one survivor named Marshall Howe who was given the job of burying the dead. He'd previously been infected and so was unafraid of the plague. He often relieved the corpses of their earthly possessions since they wouldn't need them in the afterlife. This was likely how his wife and son died. They became infected through the contaminated stolen items. Eam's mortality rate ended up higher than that of London, but by winter the plague was largely over. 260 villagers perished from 76 different families in a population of up to 800. They will have saved thousands with their decision to quarantine. So, do you think people would do that now? <laughs> the answer is no, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> nope. As we've seen, no. <laughs> so, I think that's quite interesting because... You know, we've seen a lot in the news of people reacting. Uh, even today, we had a protest in London in Trafalgar Square of people who are anti-vaccine and anti-lockdown. Uh, 
which is great um, and really helping. Um, but yeah, you, you've also had people um, at the start of the pandemic, you know, still wanting to go and congregate in churches and things. And, you know, in some extreme cases saying that, you know, God would protect them from the disease um, and sometimes being quite selfish with their decisions to, you know, uh, actually see people, meet people, uh, do what they wanted, basically. Um, so obviously, the 1600s was a very different time with religion and Puritanism. And I was just thinking about the changing face of religion and the sort of piety of religion. I don't feel this is as evident anymore. What do you think? Not that yeah, I'm, no, saying, I'm not saying that people should be <laughs> I'm not preaching to people about what they should do or not do about God or anything. I'm an unchristened um, heathen. I can't comment yes, on this. Uh, same, but um, <laughs> what is quite interesting, and you know, uh, Christianity and religion stuff is very interesting to me because I use it a lot in my artwork, you know, in my photography. Um, you know, I collect antique postcards of churches, I collect vintage rosaries, and, you know, for sort of um, familial reasons, it's quite close to my heart in that sense, although I myself am not Christian. Um, I just find it very interesting, you know, how, um, not not just, I'm not just going to point the blame at religious people at all, of any religion, um, I just mean, you know, people's uh selfishness today seems a lot more prominent and you know not much for the good of your fellow man or anything or you know the good of the healthcare system in our country which is going to be overwhelmed if things don't go well um it just it seems quite hopeless in the sense that nobody seems to be out for anyone but themselves and i think that in itself is quite horrifying. And I think the um, the story of Eam is, is quite a noble one, but I'm thinking, you know, of course, I'm not saying everyone in each village should lock down and, you know, everyone get COVID and die to pr protect other places. But, you know, if we took just a little bit of that, you know, lack of selfishness from those people, you know, maybe we'd actually be able to beat this thing in some way. Uh, yeah, I think um, that whole sense of community um, is, is in general lost. Yeah. Because um, I grew up Catholic. I was baptized Catholic, um, went to a private Catholic school for elementary school. Um, and so I very much grew up in that culture. But at that time, like the church, I remember very clearly, like the church would host every summer a carnival where everybody in the community regardless irregardless of their religion was welcome to come um and it was a fundraiser for the church but they would also allow other um congregations and other religions to to have like a booth or something there for for their their events so if they were hosted like if they hosted a community event they would be able to to advertise it there to invite our congregation to go there. Yeah. And I don't see that anymore. Like I don't see churches hosting public events. Um I don't see churches, you know, being out in the community helping. 
I see them preaching. I see them trying to basically sell their congregation, but not just being there to help. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, and I, and that's like, I am no, I no longer practice. Um, I am definitely very far removed from the church. Um, but I still feel very, very strongly that community is really important and has been a lost skill for a lot of people. Um, Cause like, m- I bet most Americans don't know either don't know who their neighbors are or who lives on their street um, or, you know, even who is in their neighborhood really. Yeah. It's the same here. Like, you know, we will say hello to our neighbors if we see them, we don't know that much about them, uh, but we don't know anybody else on the street. And I think there's kind of a mistrust of everyone like for, for various reasons you know with some sometimes with reason sometimes without reason uh but yeah there's not much bringing communities together and of course at the moment we don't have as many opportunities to do that so you know it, it's it's going to be interesting you know if at some point we can all gather again whether it's going to be like you know a good happy thing or if people will have kind of you know, the distance between people will be even greater because th- there's a lot of blame and hate going yep. on at the moment. You know, if you if you look at, you know, people who think it's China's fault or people think, you know, uh, for example, here, some some people look at uh, local immigrant communities and say they're, you know, they're they're celebrating Ramadan or something. And, you know, they're they're angry at those people saying, oh, they're having parties. They're secretly going in and out of each other's houses and you know all this kind of thing and you know it's it's really toxic and I think you know also like in comparison to the limited life of a villager in say the 1600s you know with a community based around the church um you know those people in the 1600s I mean um had perhaps already lived their best if you know what I mean you know life expectancy is not very long um, they wouldn't really leave the village very much, most of them. And so maybe it was seen as a worthy sacrifice because they, you know, would never get to travel the world or go anywhere else or do anything with their lives. And, you know, it was it was a it was a noble thing to do. And I think today we have different fears, uh, you know, fear of missing out, which I think has become the horror of missing out, of not living yeah. a life. Because there are a lot of people who bring up the the complications of lockdown, which, you know, I absolutely do agree with, we, you know, the problems with mental health of people being stuck inside, um, you know, uh, just the, the sort of overarching uh, terror of, of that, you know, isolation. Some people are literally on their own, you know, li- living by themselves and can't see anybody or can't see anybody very much. You know, there's no physical touch, which is a human need, you, you know, and I, I think uh, a lot of this stuff you can understand. But unfortunately, you know, like a lot of fear, it comes out in hatred and blame. And I think, you know, I, I think everyone's just really frightened right now, even if they don't want to admit it. Yeah. And I think I think even taking it a step further, that people um, who aren't quarantining or aren't being careful about where they're going and how they're going about it. Um, I think they've forgotten or weren't raised in that whole sense of community either. 
because there's there's that whole you want you want to do things that that are positive and care for your community because you want your community in general to be healthy. Yeah. And when you don't have that sense of community or that knowledge of how a community should work and how community building happens, um, you you have a very selfish insular um, ideology at that point. So you're not thinking of the other, you're thinking of yourself. Yeah, I agree. Chris, do you have any thoughts on it? Um, I think, let me get this right. I mean, Chris, you're, you're from a small town. So what are your opinions on community and how you grew up there and possibly thoughts on uh, how, how much that had a Church of England sort of influence or whether it didn't or, you know, what, the church doing events where you lived and things like that, was it often linked to, to the church? You know, I know you weren't brought up in a religious way, but, you know, for, for small towns like that in England, it does tend to be a bit leaning towards that way. There weren't many events that I was aware of that were tied to the local church, mm-hmm. other than, uh, other, other than what, you know, there'd be school fate or something, anything involved yeah. with the school, mm-hmm. yeah, which was tied to either like Christmas or Easter, or the school's founders' day, because mm-hmm. the school was like dated to what? Uh, let me guess, right, sixteen twenty-three. Yeah, so very old school. So that's the only link it really has, and the only kind of interaction I had. But that was a commu- that that kind of established a community of the school, and kind of it was almost like a ritualization of maintaining community, because coming to that event, you would have alumni of the school or people that were on the board of trustees, things like that, and then. I guess locally, there are other things like the town has like a uh, Kington, what was it? Uh, Kington Festival, which is a big farming festival. Festival, so you would get like, you know, all the local farmers bringing their stuff, you know, to show cows, sheep, blah blah blah, and and so forth. And there'll be events, you know, like horse riding events, so forth. And what does Kington also have? It has it still has a carnival? And it's still uh, no. It it has a what was it? Kington Pass Day. They do some historical stuff. So again, you get all the stalls on the main street. So I think you need to have that kind of like ritualized gathering mm-hmm. where people put in, and it's clear what they're getting out. But I think it's the idea of like, why should I put something in at the cost to myself? Um, and I think that's maybe a different attitude in the UK, maybe, and then also in in other European countries, because we have a different, I guess we have a different re- relationship with like, I don't know, taxes and healthcare, to be brutally honest. Well, you say that we do, but there are a lot of people who resent putting money into the healthcare yeah. system if they don't feel that they're getting enough out of it whereas you should really be grateful if you don't have to use it very much and um you know or people they think shouldn't be using it but in times when gone it's past, really it's healthcare for all if, but in times gone past the church like before we had like national health schemes mm-hmm. and the equivalent in other country the church was your safety net yes no, right so 
that's mostly what's gone is the idea that these organizations should be a safety net for their community slash congregation. Whereas now they're just, for want of a better word, for the more nefarious groups, multi-level marketing. <laughs> well, <laughs> I would say that's less of an issue yeah. in this country than in the USA. Um, you know, where you have a lot of evangelical preachers, things like that. We don't have that stuff in this country. But I think, you know, largely it's also down to governments of countries uh, not putting funding where it's due and, you know, into communities and allowing those spaces to congregate with each other, whether that is a church or it is a town hall or something. And, you know, we, we just don't have the funding and that's what a Tory government does to the UK <laughs> and I imagine you know Trump isn't very sympathetic to that kind of thing in the US so you know you're, you're having you know uh, social services taken away and you know that's why we talk about things like defunding the police and you know redirecting this funding um, you know to places which can use it more readily and you know in a better way for for different problems so yeah, I was going to ask Crystal with the with the with how schools operate. What's that like relationship with like other local communities, or at least what it used to be in the past? Has that also changed? Um. So I think for a while it was that schools were very insular as well. Um. We have this uh, school choice, and so. Parents can choose to send their their children to um, any school in the district, but also any chartered school that if there's enough vouchers for them um, and the charter school will get taxpayer money for it. Um, and that does include uh, religious schools for the charter schools. Um, there is a, a lot of problems with that. So, but um, a lot of, the schools in the United States have been set up to the point of where um, uh, you'll see a lot of schools that are either predominantly white or predominantly black or predominantly um, uh, immigrant children. And so, yeah, there, <laughs> uh, Wisconsin is, is horrible for it. Um, Milwaukee is actually one of the worst um, in the country for that. Um, and Wisconsin in general is actually one of the worst states um, for that separation, surprisingly in the North. Um, usually that's more prevalent in the South, um, but it is starting to, to be found more and more in communities due to um, uh, housing bias uh, and property bias and all of that fun stuff. Um, so there's a lot of politics involved with the schools. However, from a school standpoint, outside of that, because the a lot of the administration um, that actually runs the schools don't really have a, a say in all of that upper stuff. So they they can just only focus on the schools. And a lot of the schools are going to and pushing well, not now currently, but pushing for a lot more community involvement. Um, including community building and volunteerism within the um, within the community throughout the day, and um, doing projects that also help the greater community. Um, I know a couple of places, uh, schools that started a community garden 
where um, they would grow vegetables um, and use them in their lunchroom, but anything that was left over would be given to the students of the highest need in the school to take home for the day. That's great. Um, so like individual schools and school districts are trying to push for that, regardless of what's happening with the politics outside. Isn't it, I'm just thinking like how this relates to like depiction of horror and communities. Isn't it funny how we've gone from like, here's the Wicker Man. Oh, there's this community that's weird and it's outside of the norm. And this poor police officer goes in to, to deal with whatever. And it's like, it's a trap. Cut <laughs> to the chase, he gets burnt. You know, I'm not, spoilers, Wicker Man, he gets burnt. Unless it's Nick Cage. I oh, know, does he get burnt? No, he gets burned. Oh, I believe he gets burned. Right. He? God, I can't even remember. That's <laughs> Nick Cage. Anyway, but that's like a horror film from like the 70s. Yeah. Whereas the horror now is about everyone outside of your little fortress home. Mm -hmm. Is it? It's interesting how we've gone from one polar extreme to the other and how we depict how we interact with the world outside of us. So you're, you're talking about, like, invasion movies. Oh, don't even get me. That's a topic for another we, show. We will, we will get into that in another show. Because that's... That, I'm sure, Chris, will you have a look to talk about that. Because that's oh, I have... Yeah. Invasion, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the, what's the moral of the story here? Uh, communities are important and you shouldn't be selfish? Uh, potentially, but also that I understand... The horror that that comes from feeling that you're missing out feeling isolated because those people uh in the plague village were isolated within a loving and caring community that supported one another so they were sort of together in life or in death and you know obviously we don't really have that now so you know we will sit at home with our own little bubble but you know at the same time it's like, you know, we feel like there's stuff that we need to be doing out there. And I feel that there's a pressure, you know, of the world, you know, where it's it's like, you, you should go out and socialize, you should do this, you should do that. There is so much the world has to offer you. And then when this is suddenly taken away from people, you know, you offer them all these choices, all these things, you know, like in, in the Western world, at least. You know, and all this stuff you can do, and then suddenly it's taken away from people. You know, you, you can't go to Nando's, you can't go to Weatherspoons, you know, <laughs> and suddenly people just lose it. It's where the fear of missing out hits the fear of the 24 hour news cycle, and it goes, Here's everything. Yeah. But fear yep. everything. Mm -hmm. mm. Fun. Uh, yeah. And, and that is a hard climate to build community in, too. So. Yeah. I think I think that whole aspect of community building can wait until we get through everything at this point. Because mm -hmm. um, I think I think it's the human contact that you need, and right now we don't need human contact unless it's yeah. absolutely necessary. I think we can also return to the uh, the idea of like you know the plague village thing. I think and this, this mostly is the last thing that leads us out to like future show ideas because. That also ties with like how that that virus, well, so the plague kind of spread. That has similarities to how 
you know, things occurred to like indigenous people get harmed by colonization. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure Crystal knows far, <laughs> far more of that than I do or Sam does because like it's, it's your history. It's ours as well. Oh, it's, I mean, it's said, definitely ours as well. You said colonization is <laughs> not our history. Well, I believe it is. I believe it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think it's very prevalent. Um, but I, I honestly think that you guys are actually way more aware of it than most Americans would be growing up. Um, my, and, but we can definitely talk about that a little later. <laughs> my, my school is um, has very well. It has. His school to, was built on the slave trade. That's. <laughs> apparently debatable because Lady Hawkins while she was married to Lord Hawkins who did the slave triangle she was rich in her own right so you know there's an argument to say you would be removing her own agency for establishing the school that of course does not however dis- she, she did marry a slave trader well yeah <laughs> and which is why our school does lots of outreach <laughs> to like um we we they did they still do outreach to like uh Af- african communities and so forth so we, there's a lot of um because it's like a humanity school now yeah oh okay so yeah i of time. i would say i i grew up thinking that the indians were our friends at that time so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that was great and that is exactly how it was worded in my books because I found one of them one time and I was like, oh, well, that's uh, awful. How in the world did I function? <laughs> Holy word. That's okay. Right. <laughs> I, I have gotten better. <laughs> We've spoken a lot. So, Sam, how do you want to finish up? Uh, well, I mean, really, I'd like to say that, you know, if you're listening, Thanks for listening uh, to this very experimental first episode of a spin-off podcast for Darker Days. Um, you know, feedback is appreciated. And also, you know, with, with the topic at hand today, obviously, coronavirus is being a shit to everyone. And, you know, if you're feeling isolated or depressed or anxious, then, you know, please talk to somebody. It, you know, would do you the world of good. And... If you feel you need to speak to a professional about it, you should also do that because no one should go without help at this time. And also, if you've lost anyone close to you or anyone close to you is sick, then, you know, we send our condolences about that too. So I hope you're all hanging in there and I hope this was somewhat entertaining and we might have a slightly less close to home topic next time. So we just thought we'd start with something that was pretty, you know, on the ball for the moment. And we'll go on to proper themes uh, next episode. Yeah. Um, so, yes, if you want to find out more, go to www.darker-days.org. Email is darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Uh, you can find other links from there in the other show notes and so forth for this episode and all other episodes. Um, and then please message on like social media, having listened to this. I'm sure you've got films you want us to talk about or you think, have you watched this? And the answer is no, we'll watch it when we get the chance to stream it via whatever means, mm-hmm. when it fits a theme, I'm sure. 
We'll come up with themes. We'll talk about Hellraiser at some point. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll always talk about Hellraiser. No, no, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> um, and yeah, this show format is going to be like this. So it's mainly going to be Sam and Crystal talking about this. And I'm sure we'll swap in others as we go. I'm sure Mike will want to drop in and that. Mm -hmm. But there's enough of us boys talking about Oh, yes. Uh, and we talk about gaming a lot. And I think it's fun to talk about horror media. I like just listening right now. So that's pretty much what this show format is. So thank you. Thank you to Sam and thank you to Crystal. Uh, yep. Thank you, Crystal. Uh, do you want to say how you can be contacted or anything? Yeah. Um, so you can find information for me um, at thegeekypanda.com or you can find me on um, any Darker Days radio uh, social media or discord you guys can message me there okay great and my instagram is sam striger that's s-t-r-z-y-g-a and um <laughs> i don't even know if i spelled that right wow should i try again <laughs> try it again oh no don't bother it be in the show notes okay so <laughs> i will pause and i will just say it again okay Okay, so my Instagram is Sam Striger, and it's uh, my art Instagram is at exorcisms, which you can find in the show notes. So uh, thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.